Emma, what are you researching now? Birthday gifts. Sapa has the best mattresses in every category. So how about one for everybody? Uh, mattresses? A customizable air for mom and dad who can't agree on firmness. A five-pound memory foam for your sister's college all-nighters. An all-natural latex for your yoga teacher. A Sapa youth for my growing nephews. And a classic inner spring for us. I got you a tie. Get $200 off your purchase of $1,000 or more at Sapa.com slash 200. Talk about who's coming to dinner, Hot Rod. This is an individual whom I don't believe you'd want to invite home uh, to dinner. The brothers and sisters! The man that stands before you now is a man who requires love 24 hours a day. Your casket. Brother Bear will have these last words. 
words of wisdom. Ultimate warrior, may you rest in peace. Ultimate warrior, yes, oh yes, yeah. Ah, it's just me doing a little quick impersonation of Paul Barra. 27 years ago this week, Paul Barra announced as The Undertaker's new manager on The Brother Love Show. Me always enjoying Percy Pringle, even though I didn't get too much of an opportunity back in the late 80s, early 90s to see much footage of Percy Pringle. Still did a little tape trading when I was uh, a very young, youngin wrestling fan, but uh, it was cool to see him in WWF. Fit perfectly for The Undertaker as a manager, Brother Love, I enjoyed as well, but Brother Love as being the Undertaker's manager, it just didn't seem to fit. And I think a lot of people, including uh, Bruce Pritchard, would agree to that. But with that said, what's up, everyone? This week in wrestling history, I am back once again. Don Tony here. And this week, we will be covering the period of January 23rd through January 29th. Got a whole bunch of audio clips to play this week as well. I think you'll really enjoy it, but let's get right into it. 1978 Championship Wrestling from Florida. They had an event in Miami called the Super Bowl of Wrestling. And the reason why they came up with that name was because the show took place a week after Super Bowl twelve. Uh, 12,000 people were in attendance. Why am I bringing up this event at all? Because of the main event. Superstar Billy Graham, who was the WWF champion at the time, took on the current at the time NWA World Heavyweight Champ, Harley Race. The special referees were Don Curtis, Gorilla Monsoon. So they were pitting this as a WWF versus NWA match. And it went to a one-hour time limit draw. Would you ever in a million years expect to hear superstar Billy Graham wrestling a match to a one-hour time limit draw? No, I never, ever heard that before. And to be honest with you, I am going to try to seek out the footage of this match. I don't know if it exists, but this is one that piques my interest. One-hour time limit draw, Superstar Billy Graham as the WWF champion versus NWA champion Harley Race. And, you know, this, you know, it's a shame because we always heard about Backlund versus Flair, Backlund versus Race. You know, when you talk about WWF versus NWA champs at the time, but have you ever really heard Billy Graham versus Harley Race when they were champs for their respective feds at that time. I don't think many of you out there have ever heard about it, so I figured I'd share it. Now, we fast forward all the way, all the way to 1984, and I was going to play the footage, but yeah, I thought about it. There's so many audio clips I'm going to play this week, and I know each and every one of you out there has seen this match. If you're a wrestling fan, you had to have seen this match even once. Hulk Hogan defeating the Iron Sheik to win the WWF title at Madison Square Garden. Hulkamania is here. And any longtime listener already knows this. There is proof of it. If you actually watch the match and Hulk Hogan is coming down the, the, um, the aisle at the beginning of his match, you'll see him turn for a brief moment with his, you know, pointed to the crowd. He turns and spins as he's walking to the, to the ring. And you will see on the right, yours truly, 
and my friend Vinny, we went to the garden. I used to always go to the garden back then. Never had front row seats until I became friends with Georgie Ann Macropolis, God rest his soul. Uh, I'll talk about her a little bit later because there is an anniversary for Georgie Ann. But at that time, we had decent seats. We went to the garden. I mean, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think anybody at the garden really thought that Hulk Hogan was going to win that night. Iron Sheik had been champion for a very short amount of time. Yes, Iron Sheik really was a transitional champion to go from Backlund to Hogan. But still, when we went to the garden, it just was an awesome event. There were other great matches on the card as well. But if you want to see yours truly, back in 1984, go watch the beginning of the match. You'll see my friend Vinny on my shoulders, and he puts his arms in the air like flexing. It's pretty funny, but yeah, you could spot me uh, pretty easily. So it was a cool match, very cool match. 1987, One Man Gang defeats Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a Loser Leaves UWF match. And the reason why this match took place, Jim Duggan was on his way to the WWF. And uh, because of that loss, Jim Duggan and Terry Taylor had to vacate the UWF tag titles. They were tag champs at the time. And I was a little surprised. They they didn't just have Duggan and Taylor lose the belts, maybe do a little bit of a storyline and then have maybe some dissension and, you know, Duggan versus Taylor. I mean, I know it's babyface versus babyface, but still, you know, you would think that, it would have been done a little bit differently, especially that they knew that he was leaving to go to WWF. So that same week in 1987, the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart, Jim the Anvil Neidhart became the WWF tag champs. They defeated the British Bulldogs. This is the first tag team championship that the Hart Foundation would hold in WWF. And this was the beginning of Danny Davis as a wrestler. And over the years, we've talked on the other shows about some of the worst wrestlers of all time. And Danny Davis is a forgotten man. He's a guy that we don't seem to bring up enough as far as wrestlers that were not good. And look, he got more slack at the time because the storyline of him being a crooked referee did work well. So we were more just uh, focused on him getting his ass kicked than actually paying attention to his in-ring work. But you watch Danny Davis matches at that time. That outfit that looked like a referee shirt was, eh. and you could see that the guy, I'm not alleging that he was on any um, performance enhancing drugs in any way, but he got jacked. I mean, you could tell, even though you never really got to see his skin, his his physical chest, because he always had the shirt on. And yes, the shirt was tight, so it made him look a little tighter in a muscular form. But he, you could tell he looked jacked. And I thought it was a successful storyline at the time. Now, for those that are interested, I'll play for you the closing moments of how the Hart Foundation won. Because remember, it was Danny Davis's actions as the referee in this match, which led to him being suspended by Jack Tunney. Here's the footage. Wait a minute. Davis is allowing two men in the ring. Come on. What is coming down here? Drop kick by Davey Ball. Where's Dynamite? Dynamite's out on the floor. Bret Hart, Bret Hart is out on the floor. Dynamite. We just saw him. Two men out on the floor. 
left in the ring, Davy Boy Smith, and he's got the anvil up for a power slam. would go on to wrestle a little more than a year. Then he did a storyline where they reinstated him back as a manager in 1989. So there you go. Now, I got to tell you, for those that were at these tapings in Tampa, Florida, I envy them because not only did they get to enjoy Hart Foundation winning the tag titles, but they did several storylines at that taping to set up WrestleMania three. The two infamous Piper's Pit segments where Andre came out and challenged Hogan for WrestleMania three, ripped the cross off of Hogan. You're bleeding. You're bleeding. Remember that? And then the following week where Hogan accepted Andre's challenge, all of these segments were recorded the same day in Tampa, Florida. In addition, another segment that a lot of people forget was the empty arena where Mean Gene Oakland interviewed Roddy Piper, who he announced that he was going to be retiring from pro wrestling. Now, we know he went on to his movie career at the time, film They Live, which is one of my favorite pop culture movies of all time. But there were a lot of things going down at these tapings. Now, I'll share a little audio for those that want to take a little flashback in history. You're going to hear the two... Segments on Piper's Pit featuring Hogan and Andre. And the third one, I'm not going to play the audio of Mean Gene Oakland interviewing Piper because the audio quality is terrible. I mean, I seeked out everywhere online to try to find better quality and I couldn't. But the following week, Piper wrestled in Madison Square Garden and it was his last match at the Garden because at the time he was going to retire. So he cut a promo backstage after his match and it's very similar to the one that he cut with Mean Gene Oakland that audio quality is a million times better so enjoy got three audio clips Hogan and Andre for two of them Roddy Piper for the third I 
promised it to you this week. I ain't gonna fool around. I promise. Hey, I got one thing to say, Piper. My man is here. The man who I promised is here. What about you? My man you're talking about? My man's here. My man's here. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan. My man is here. I'm impressed, and I don't impress easy. Now, for this discussion, may I present 15 years undefeated, the eighth wonder of the world, seven foot four, 500 pounds, Andre, whoa, the giant. Wait, what's going on here? Hold on, man. What are you doing with him? You guys aren't together. Come on, man. Andre, what are you doing here with Heenan? What's going on? Andre, listen, man. You can't be here with him. Don't you know what Heenan's done to me? To these people out here since you've been gone? It can't be so. Andre, listen to me. Day one, man, when I set my eyes on you, brother, you're the reason I got in professional wrestling. You were like a god to me, a role model. You can't be here with him, man. You're the one that took me all the way from nothing to the world's title. Andre, you can't be with him, man. Let me tell you. No, no, wait one minute. You're the one that taught me, man, about respect for the fans, about helping the kids. You're the one that taught me about good sportsmanship. You set the, the mold for me to follow, man. What are you doing here with him? I'll tell you what he's doing here with me. He's sick and tired of you and what you stand for. Let me tell you something, Hogan. You're the one that for three years as world champion used this man. You're also the vermin that made this man. I can't tell you what I think about. You used him. They gave him a trophy. But no, that wasn't good enough. It was a littler trophy than yours. But you had to walk out and steal that moment. You're so jealous of this man, you can't stand it. He, oh, this is the man for 15 years that is undefeated. But did you ever once? No, man, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. When I won the world title, he poured champagne over my head. It was like a bond of friendship. You're wrong, Ian. Did you ever once, once in your life, offer him a championship match? You laughed behind his back. No, Andre, listen, it's not happening. Tell me it's not so, man. Even though you came out here with him, you don't have to leave with him. It's not happening. Thank you, Anselm, shoulders. One more thing to say to you, Hogan. Look at me when I'm talking to you. I'm there for one reason. To challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Andre, please, no, it's not happening. We're friends. We're friends, Andre, please. You can't believe it? Maybe you'll believe this, Hogan. Andre, what are you doing, man? You can't leave like this, man. What are you doing, Andre? You can't my cross the shirt. What's wrong with him, man? You can't leave like this. You're bleeding. It's not how Andre, come back, man. You don't have to leave like this. 
What is he doing? You're bleeding. Easy. What's come? Come. Come on. Are you people half as confused as I am? You're doggone right. Three weeks ago, we came on the beginning of 1987 and presented an award for Hulk Hogan, who has managed to be the world's heavyweight champion for three years in a row running. This is unbelievable. Deserved it. The next week we come out, we give another nice award to Andre the Giant for 15 years of pro wrestling without a defeat. Jemima, professional wrestling. Jesse the Body Ventura comes out and he starts stirring up all kinds of stuff now. I don't know what's going on, so the next week comes on. You folks on. We got Andre, we got Hulk Hogan, the world champion. Next thing I know, Andre the Giant is tearing the clothes off the world's heavyweight champion and if that don't beat all, if that don't beat all, he says, I'm there for one reason, to challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Ain't that the damnedest thing? So, I followed Hogan out. I followed Hogan and I followed Hogan to his dressing room. I go to the dressing room, I'm serious, I go to the dressing room, I'm sitting with Hogan. He's sitting down like this. I, I never seen him like this before, man. He's sitting down and he's got, he's got his head down. He's got, and I said, hey, Hogan. I says, what's wrong with Andre? And Hogan just kind of just looked up at me. And, and, I, and I looked at him and his, his eyes were all kind of steamy in his eyes. And he put his head back down between his, between his legs. I says, Hogan, what's wrong? And you know, he just kind of goes like this to me. Then I says, the all kinds of people is asking me questions. I said, there's only one man in the world that could tell us if he's gonna accept this challenge or not. But wait, wait, I see Hogan. I saw Hogan in the hallway. I said, Hogan, are you coming on the pit? There'll be nobody else there. He just, ladies and gentlemen, the world's heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan. Oh, I don't understand something, man. Look at me in the eye, please. What's going on with Andre? Please, look, no, look me in the eye. I've always known, I thought you, I've always known you to be a man at least. Look me in the eye and tell me what's going on with Andre. We want to know. You don't understand, man. I worship the guy. He was like a friend, man. Everything, everything he was, I wanted to be like him. I watched him nationwide TV. That's the reason I'm here. But wait a second. I thought he's your best friend. I thought so. I thought so, man. Like I said, that's why I'm here. I patterned my whole life after him, man. The courtesy, the way he treated people in and out of the ring, man. The way he was a good sport, brother. That's what I wanted. I but wait, Curtis. No, no, no. I knew I couldn't be as big as him, man. I wanted to be just like him. 
I watched him move, man. I watched him treat people. Well, treating people, ripping clothes off is not my idea. Treating people, right. When I saw him with Heenan, you're right, man. I knew it changed. I, when he was Heenan, I knew he was a different man. I knew Heenan had got to him. I knew something was different. We used to fight for the same things. We used to fight because we believed in the straight and narrow. And when I saw him with Heenan, I knew it was jealousy, greed, the money, something had gotten to him, you know. But when he pulled... The shirt man, when he ripped the cross off my chest, he didn't just tear it off. He dug in and tore my heart out, man. Why didn't you just take a stake and drive it in my heart, Andre? And you know something? Now that he's with Heenan, it's all changed, man. He's different. Tell me yes or no. Are you or are you not going to fight him in WrestleMania 3 for the world heavyweight championship? Yeah! Roddy, congratulations on one of the greatest displays I've ever seen in my entire history, and what what a tremendous way to say goodbye to Madison Square Garden. Thank you, thanks, girl. I, I, I you know, I've never been one to kiss babies and do all that other stuff for a while. They thought I was a Gaddafi of professional wrestling. I think, but you know, the way I always paid the fans back was. When I got in there, I always give 110%. I wasn't like Bambi. I never laid back from nobody at no time, at any time. You know, I got one great quest left, and that's Adrian Adonis. And this guy says, he's going to shave my hair. There's this curly cue of professional wrestling going, shave my head as I go out and farewell. You know, I come in a winner, I'm going out a winner. Because when I'm good, I'm good. And when I'm bad, I'm better. You guys sitting there watching all kinds of basketball and stuff. Me, I'm going to be sitting there doing push-ups. I'm watching the game, too. This here's pre-tape, brother. I'm so hyped, I can't. I can't help myself. Are you what I think? I think this, man. I never said nothing good to you before, but maybe it'll be a half an hour in heaven before the devil knows you're dead. <sighs> this week in 1988, it was technically WWF versus NWA once again. Not in a match, but actually in ratings. And I'll explain a little bit. You know, this week in 88 was the first ever Royal Rumble. It actually aired on the USA Network, not on pay-per-view. Hacksaw Jim Duggan won this Royal Rumble. Now, if you want to do some research on this, you could get some really cool stories online about it. But even though this officially was the first ever Royal Rumble match to take place, WWF actually did one in late 1987. It was, I think, in Missouri, and One Man Gang actually won that match, and apparently it fell beyond flat. There's a lot of interesting stuff that came out from that night, so if you want to go pull the stories, by all means, do so. But I'm focusing this week in wrestling history. Now, when Hacksaw Jim Duggan won this Royal Rumble match on USA Network, at that time, and believe you're not going to believe this, but at that time, that Royal Rumble event was the most watched show as far as wrestling in cable history. Now, when you look at the card from that night, Ricky Steamboat defeated Rick Rude by DQ. Okay, interesting match. The Jumping Bomb Angels won uh, over the Glamour Girls in a best two out of three falls match to win the women's tag titles. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, as I said, won the Royal Rumble match, and he eliminated one main game, by the, by the way, to win it. And the Islanders defeated Young Stallions, Jim Powers and Paul Roma, two to nothing in a best two out of three falls match. Now, you think of that card, and you say to yourself, 
that is the most watched wrestling event in history at that time. Well, there was something else that took place that night. It was the contract signing for Hogan versus Andre. This was their return match that was going to take place at Saturday night's main event. You remember Andre won and he gave the belt to Ted DiBiase. This was the contract signing. And there's some great footage of it online if you want to go check it out. This time they did the contract signing in the ring. Uh, it was DiBiase in the ring. I think me, Gene Oakland, Jack Tunney, Hogan, Andre. Might have been someone else. But after the contract signing, Andre, quote-unquote, slammed Hogan's head into the wooden table. And you know, it, was a nice, it was a nice little contract signing storyline. But here's the deal. But here's the deal. You remember a previous episode of This Week in Wrestling History where I talked about the controversy of WWF and the NWA wanting to do a pay-per-view the same night and WWF had threatened to pull their relationship with cable companies and it was a big controversy and not a disaster, but because of that, this Royal Rumble did not air on pay-per-view. But the bunkhouse stampede for the NWA did and it took place the same night as the Royal Rumble at the Nassau Coliseum. They actually did about 200,000 pay-per-view buys, which really is not bad at the time. And they had about 6,500 in attendance. And if you look at the card, the card was a pretty damn good card. The draw was the Bunkhouse Stampede Caged Battle Royal. Basically, the only way you could eliminate your opponents either was to throw them out of the cage through the door or over the top of the cage onto the floor. Now, the problem is, is that at that time, a lot of the tickets that they had printed for this event in Nassau Coliseum had the wrong start time in it. And, if you know, it's hard to see on camera, but at that time, you had a shitload of people entering the building thinking that the event was about to start and they were at the second last to last match on a pay-per-view. Believe it or not, they had the wrong fucking start time on it. So not only did you piss off a shitload of fans, I don't know if they got refunds because of it. You would think that they would have had to have been given a refund. And I guarantee that a lot of people probably stuck around because it was main event time. And, you know, as I go over the card, it was a pretty damn good card. But imagine buying tickets to see the NWA at Nassau Coliseum. You walk in, let's say, at 830 at night thinking that, hey, the card's going to start, you know, soon. And then you find out that it actually started 90 minutes earlier and you missed most of the event. Not only that, at that time, you got to remember, NWA had a more of a Southern audience. You know, this is before they really went nationwide and then, you know, in the early 90s and they signed Hogan and blah, 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 blah. It was really, you know, more looked at as a Southern promotion. So the NWA fans were pissed off. And yeah, it was only one event, but they were very ticked off that NWA left their area to go invade WWF territory, the Northeast. So, And again, by far on paper, the NWA card was the card to, to go to that night. Now, for those that are interested, here's the results. Sting and Jimmy Garvin over the Sheep Herders, who you knew later on as the Bushwhackers. Nikita Koloff fought Bobby Eaton to a 20-minute time limit draw for the World TV Championship. Larry Zbysko over Barry Windham to win the UWF 
Western States title. Road Warrior Hawk over Ric Flair by DQ. And in the main event, Dusty Rhodes defeated Arn Anderson, The Barbarian, Tully Blanchard, Ivan Koloff, Lex Luger, Road Warrior Animal, and The war Warlord in a Steel Cage Bunkhouse Stampede match. So there you go. 1989, New York City, Madison Square Garden. Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard made their MSG debut as the Brainbusters, and that night they defeated Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. 1991, WWF taped the last edition of the main event. Now, just like they had Saturday night's main event that would air on Saturday nights, they also would air the main event that would air on Friday nights. It was like the Friday night version of Saturday night's main event. But during this taping of the main event, they taped three episodes of Superstars of Wrestling that would air in the upcoming weeks. One of those episodes featured what I opened up with this week, the debut of Paul Bearer as The Undertaker's manager. 1992, Saturday night's main event took place. And the main event at that time was the Macho Man, Randy Savage, defeating Jake the Snake Roberts. Now, on TV, when we saw that episode, they went off the air with Miss Elizabeth and Macho Man celebrating in the ring. Now, they actually had taped a little bit of an angle, which we didn't see that night, but it would air a few weeks later on Superstars. What happened was... As Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth celebrated in the ring, Jake Snake Roberts went to the back. He had just lost the match. Goes off the air. Well, we go on to see footage later on where Jake the Snake Roberts is in the back, right behind the curtain at the gorilla position. And he's holding a steel chair. And, you know, they have the mic on him. And you hear him say that he doesn't care which one of them goes through the curtain first. He's going to bash them with a chair. And they kept going back and forth from behind the curtain in front of the curtain, behind the curtain in front of the curtain. And as you as they walk to the back, you see Miss Elizabeth in front of the Macho Man. So you hear Vince getting really, really excited, not happy, but fearing, thinking that Miss Elizabeth is going to be the first one to walk to the back through the curtain and Jake the Snake Roberts was going to chair bash her. So Jake the Jake Snake is getting all psyched up. We see Miss Elizabeth leading the way, walking to the back. And as soon as they enter the curtain, somebody grabs the chair from Jake the Snake Roberts and stops him. And Jake Roberts is pissed off as a motherfucker. It was The Undertaker. And this would further the storyline with The Undertaker, Jake the Snake Roberts. It was done very well. It really was. I mean, Miss Elizabeth, ah, you know, it was a little overacting a bit, but I thought it was played very well. But in these days, would you ever see a storyline really where a male wrestler is going to tease chair bashing a female in any way, shape, or form? I seriously doubt it. The fact that WWF had to even edit out a kiss not even two years ago, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Can you imagine, you know, a guy wanting to chair bash a girl? It's uh, it's probably never going to be seen. Uh, I'm sure somebody will do it. But anyway, 1993, Royal Rumble from Sacramento, California. The reason why I bring up this Royal Rumble in particular, it was the debut in the WWF for Jorge Gonzalez, a.k.a. the late Giant Gonzalez. Um, we saw him as El Gigante in WCW, and he got directly involved in this Royal Rumble by eliminating The Undertaker, and this would start 
a feud between The Undertaker and Giant Gonzalez. Now, yes, I know about the, you know, the outfit that he wore. It was ridiculous and he was not good in the ring. But honestly, you go back to El Gigante in WCW and he was cheered immensely. He was not good. There is a match in Japan that I saw very recently. It featured Giant Gonzalez versus Nails. I think it was El Gigante in this match, but you got a drizzling shits, drizzling, drizzling shits. It's considered one of the worst matches in Japanese wrestling history featuring, you know, like American wrestlers, I guess. it's And the footage is online. So if you want to go check it out, by all means. Now, we fast forward to 1996. This was a pretty big week for wrestling in 1996. First off, we had Clash of the Champions 32. Road Warriors had made their return to WCW after appearing in the WWF. This same night was noted for the debut of Miss Elizabeth in the WCW. She had not been seen on TV for over three years because she left WWF in 1992. You know, in late 92, they had gotten a divorce, so Miss Elizabeth was no longer, um, you know, married to Macho Man. She was away from wrestling. And I never saw footage of this, and I'm curious if there's any footage online. I'm going to go check it out. But there's reports that during the time that she was out of wrestling from 1992 to 1996, she actually did commentary on ESPN for speedboat racing. Never knew that. So there you go. Also, that same night was the debut of Deborah, who is still married to Steve McMichael at the time. And in fact, she along with Hulk Hogan's wife, Linda, actually were playing valets that night, escorting Hogan and Savage to the ring. That same evening had the return of woman to WCW. If you remember the whole storyline with uh, her leaving ECW, she uh, returned to WCW that night. And it was the WCW debuts that night of Psychosis and Conan. So it was a pretty big deal that night. I didn't even mention what, went down with Pillman. For those that may not remember, Pillman that night defeated Eddie Guerrero in a match, and Brian Pillman doing a whole loose cannon gimmick at the time was running around ringside area, grabbed Bobby Heenan by the jacket. It was not planned. Bobby Heenan did not expect it, and Heenan got startled and basically dropped the F-bomb on live TV. And he basically said to Pillman, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? So it was a pretty big night for WCW at that time. There were a lot of reports at the time that Ric Flair threatened to walk out. I don't want to say quit WCW, but walk out of WCW because he was not happy with the original outcome, which was Hogan was supposed to drop the boot onto Flair for the win. And they ended up changing the outcome of the match to finish where uh, it ended up being Ric Flair and the Giant defeating Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. And I feel bad for Disco Inferno and the one-man gang. They wrestled the dark match after the uh, event finished, and reports were that just about everybody left the building. They didn't even stick around to watch the dark match. That same week, Raven defeated Sandman to win the ECW Heavyweight Championship. This was Raven's first title run as the ECW champion. And you think about Raven's big time, uh, major, you know, ECW career. He is easily in the top five as far as important people to have contributed to ECW, in my opinion. And you look back on it, I think he only held the heavyweight title twice. I think he only had two runs. 
Um, and you got to remember, this is 1996 now. So in five years, he only held that heavyweight title twice. I could be wrong. I didn't do my research on it, but I'm pretty sure that he only had the title twice. He would keep this belt and hold on to it until October of 96 when he lost the title back to Sandman at Ultimate Jeopardy. Now, 1997, WCW had their sold-out pay-per-view. About 170,000 pay-per-view buys, 5,000 in attendance, and you know people considered it a major disappointment. You think of the NWO storyline not being around all that long. This is 1997. And to only have 5,000 people in attendance, 170,000 pay-per-view buys, people were disappointed. And for years and years and years, I never bothered to check it, but I did very recently. I forgot that this was a pay-per-view that took place on Saturday night. Because I always kind of thought or, or remembered that it was... I played cards at the time every Saturday night at my friend's house. Every Saturday night was poker night. I mean, this was for like two years straight. And I remember going to my friend's house. And it's weird because over the years, I'm sure there's moments in wrestling history that you remember where you were. And unfortunately, a lot of it is probably tragedies. You know, some positive moments as well. Um, But I remember that night going to my friend's house to play cards. And when we got there, he had the sold out pay-per-view on TV. He had it airing and I was like, oh shit, you know, sold out. I forgot. So we were watching the pay-per-view as we were playing cards and the pay-per-view was kind of a disappointment. Some of the matches that night were okay. It really was not a bad pay-per-view. I've read over the years that, you know, sold out for that year was the reader's choice in Meltzer's newsletter as the worst major show of 1997. And people consider it one of the worst shows in wrestling history. Maybe the concept was not good. But I thought some of the matches were fine. You know, you look back on the card, Masahiro Chono over Chris Jericho, Big Bubba Rogers over Hugh Morris, Jeff Jarrett over Mr. Wall Street, Bagwell over Riggs, Scott Norton over Diamond Dallas Page, Steiner Brothers winning the tag titles that night, which would set up the storyline with Randy Anderson being fired by Eric Bischoff, Eddie Guerrero over six in a ladder match, and Hollywood Hogan and the Giant fighting to a no contest. Yeah, some of the matches were good. Some of them were not that great. But to call it one of the worst shows in pay-per-view history, I think that is a major. I think people are confusing the concept with the actual in-ring work. So, But that took place on a Saturday night this week back in 1997. Now, two days later on Nitro... They did the storyline with Eric Bischoff and Randy Anderson. Basically, Bischoff had come out, said that Randy Anderson was not authorized to referee in the match between the Steiners and Hall and Nash. It sold out. So not only did Eric Bischoff reverse the decision uh, in that match, he also, quote-unquote, fired Randy Anderson. Now, for those that may not know the story, there was a lot more going on behind the scenes with Randy Anderson. A year before, he had been diagnosed with testicular cancer. And when you read, you know, how he found out, he was reading a men's magazine. And in that magazine, there was an article about testicular cancer and what the warning signs were. And he realized that he had a lot of the symptoms, got checked out, and they found out that uh, he had cancer. Now, because it was a malignant tumor, they ha- he had to have his left testicle removed. And he was doing well you know, for a little while, I mean, at first, you know, he obviously was going through the cancer, but he started doing better. 
and they brought him back to referee in 1999. Unfortunately, the cancer returned. It got worse. He was forced into retirement in 1999, and he died three years later in May of 2002. He was only 42 years old. Such a sad story at the time. Really, really sad. 1998, WCW returned once again with the sold-out pay-per-view. This event is most known because of what happened during a match between Kevin Nash and the Giant. If you never saw it, go check it out. Giant escaped some fucking serious injury that night. Kevin Nash tried to hit the Giant, a.k.a. the Big Show, with a jackknife powerbomb. Couldn't get him up high enough, and uh, Big Show landed on his head. You see it on TV, you, you just it's amazing that this guy did not suffer a major injury as a result from that. So, 1999, WWE had the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. It was the return of Mabel, who really had not been seen since the 1996 Royal Rumble match. Any return is Mabel, but it only lasted that one night because in storyline he was kidnapped by the Ministry of Darkness. And the next night on Monday Night Raw... He came back as Viscera. 1999, Royal Rumble pay-per-view. A lot of major things came out from that night. First and foremost, which I will always remember, the I Quit match involving The Rock and Mick Foley. And if you watch Beyond the Mat, need I say more? Easily, without a shadow of a doubt, the most disturbed that I ever felt during a, a match to see Mick Foley get chair bashed that much in that match. It's just unheard of. And it was ridiculous. It was sickening. It was ridiculous. The chair bashes were even worse than the end when you hear, you know, obviously a pre-recorded soundbite of, I quit, I quit. But man, if you watch that match during Beyond the Mat, it was disturbing. See Mick Foley's wife crying hysterical with every chair shot. And weren't they playing Stand By Me in the background, that that old classic song, blah, 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 Stand By Me. You know, it, it was, it's sickening, absolutely sickening. That same night, the Royal Rumble match itself, China became the first woman ever to enter the men's Royal Rumble match. And in case you forgot, it was Vince McMahon who won the Royal Rumble. Next night on Raw, Vince had come out with The Rock, basically cutting a promo, announcing that he was going to give up his number one contendership, blah, blah, blah. This led to Shawn Michaels, who was the commissioner. And, and instead of me describing it, here's the audio of how it went down the following night on Monday Night Raw. I'm going to WrestleMania! <laughs> By winning the Rumble match, Mr. McMahon gets a shot at the WWF champion. I came, I saw... I kick stone cold ass. <laughs> Rebel in it, Mr. McMahon. However, I wasn't the only total and absolute victor at the Royal Rumble. There was someone else. Someone who made mankind say, no, no. Someone who made mankind scream, I quit. I quit. Give it up for the new... WWF Champion, give it up for The Rock! Yes! King, I still cannot believe that mankind, Mick Foley, uttered those two words, I quit. Just shut up and clap. 
A well-informed source. There goes that chant again. Listen to the crowd at America West Arena. The truth hurts, King. Tell him to shut up, Michael. I know you were out celebrating all night. But I was told once you went to bed last night and you took that WWF title and you laid it here on the side, I was told all of a sudden you pulled the covers up and you sat right up in a cold sweat because it dawned on you. Oh my God! That means I'm going to WrestleMania, but that means I have to defend the WWF title against Vince McMahon. The Rock takes the belt to bed with him. Wouldn't you? The Rock, I don't want you to be intimidated. I don't want you to have to live with that kind of weight on your shoulders. So therefore, last night I signed it, I filed it this morning, papers that indeed removes me as the number one contender. What? I waive all rights and privileges as the number one contender to face you at WrestleMania. However, however, I reserve the right at the appropriate time to single-handedly name the person that you will be facing at WrestleMania. What's Mr. McMahon yellow? What do you mean? Another magnanimous move on the part of Mr. McMahon! Now, Austin, Stone Cold, I told you, there was no chance in hell of you winning the Royal Rumble. I love to hear him say that. That is so great. Say it again. And quite frankly, Austin, as far as I'm concerned, you will never, ever again step into the ring with a WWF champion, much less myself. Because you know what, Stone Cold? You've simply run out of chances, Austin. Good. Hey, jackass, look on the big screen. I'm up hey. here. Hey, what? What are you, what are you? Look at me, you sorry son of a bitch. You're, you're up where? Where are you? I'm in Texas. Oh, okay. You're in Texas. I'm in Arizona. That makes sense to me because I'm sure that you've been humiliated. I'm sure you can't even come out of your house. I'm sure people are coming up to you and saying, hey, aren't you the guy? Aren't you the guy that Vince McMahon threw over the top rope? (laughs) Yes. I doubt it. Yeah, I think that sounds all, that sounds fine, Vince, but uh, I'll tell you this. I'm going to WrestleMania. What? Well, I, I guess as a fan, uh, you mean you mean you're going to buy a ticket to go to WrestleMania? No, you dumb son of a bitch! I'm telling you, I'm going to WrestleMania to face the champion. What? Uh, no. Well, you must be chewing on some loco weed or something down there in Texas. Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, what? What are you saying? I don't know what you're talking about, all this local weed, all the little crap you're talking about. I'm telling you right now in English, read my lips if you've got a hard time hearing what I'm saying. I'm going to WrestleMania to wrestle the champion 
I'm telling you that, but not just me telling you that. The guy right beside me is telling you the same damn thing. That's the commissioner. Commissioner Shawn Michaels is with Austin. Hey, man. And you got to admit, I'm healing damn well, all right? I can't believe Stone it. Don't go Mikasa, Sukasa. <laughs> now, I'm sure everybody's wondering what old Stone Cold is doing in my home. Old Stone Cold and I have been reading over the WWF rule book. What? Or, or no, <laughs> That's not the... The, <laughs> the official one, it's here somewhere. And it says that if the winner of the Royal Rumble either is unable or unwilling to go to WrestleMania to fight the champion, then the runner-up gets what? all rights what? and privileges. What? Stone Cold is going to WrestleMania because Mr. McMahon... So I guess what I'm telling you is this. Last night, when you filed those papers, you checked yourself out of the main event at WrestleMania, and Stone Cold Steve Austin has been checked in. A rule technicality has sunk Mr. McMahon! This is not right! What do you mean it's not right? It's the rule! This is an impeachable offense, Michaels! Now, that night's Raw featured the heel turn of China joining the corporation. And how it went down was the main event was the Rock defeating Triple H in an I Quit match. Corporation had taken China hostage, and basically they told Triple H that they weren't going to let her go unless he quit. So he uttered the words, I quit. They let China go. China enters the ring. Instead of hugging Triple H out of appreciation, she low blows him, hits him in the crotch, and she basically leaves D-Generation X and joins the corporation. We fast forward to 2000. Taz makes his debut at the WWE Royal Rumble, defeating Kurt Angle. Remember that night? Taz got a major pop from the crowd, which was cool. I think a lot of us uh, were surprised that he would win clean and as quick as he did. And for those that may have forgotten about this little aspect, Kurt Angle losing in that match to Taz, that was the first pinfall or submission for Kurt Angle in WWE. But for many of you out there, the 2000 Royal Rumble pay-per-view will always be most remembered for the moment during the Royal Rumble match where Too Cool ended up being the only three guys in the ring and they did their Too Cool dance. The pop that the crowd gave them at that moment was just unreal. I mean, it's one of the... It's just odd how over that was. I mean, look, the whole dancing thing was over. I'm not going to deny that. But the way that the crowd went nuts that night, just for them doing that little dance, it, it was pretty cool. It really was. Two other matches that happened that night that I think are very much underappreciated over the years. Yeah, Triple H defeating Mick Foley in a street fight. And even though I was not a big Triple H fan at this time, that match was excellent. 
Definitely go out of your way to see it if you haven't seen it before. And also that same night, you had Chris Jericho becoming the undisputed IC champ, defeating China and Hardcore Holly in a triple threat match. Uh, I've talked over the last couple of weeks about the controversy of China and Chris Jericho technically being co-champions, which they were announced at that time as. But if you look at the WWE record books, they are not recognized as co-champions. Also this week, you remember halftime heat during the Super Bowl? They had the empty arena match between The Rock and Mankind. Well, that took place this week in history. Very, very entertaining match. Um, it aired right, for those that weren't a wrestling fan at that time, right smack in the middle of Super Bowl 31 during halftime. You changed the channel over to WWE and you watched halftime heat, which was an empty arena match between The Rock and Mick Foley. It was excellent. Absolutely excellent. Unfortunately for WCW at this time, they were in absolute disarray. And this week in the year 2000, I'll try to explain exactly how this went down. It was on Nitro where Sid Vicious had defeated one of the Harris boys, Harris brothers, for the right to face Kevin Nash. Later on in that night, Sid Vicious defeated Kevin Nash for the vacated WCW Heavyweight title. As I had mentioned the week before, Chris Benoit was stripped of the title because they left to, along with the Radicals to go to WWE. So now we have Sid closing out Nitro as the heavyweight champion. On Thunder, a couple of days later, Sid Vicious was stripped of the heavyweight title by Commissioner Kevin Nash because they revealed that Sid Vicious had pinned the wrong Harris brother on Nitro. And because he pinned the wrong Harris brother, he shouldn't have qualified to face Kevin Nash in the first place on Nitro to win the title. So Kevin Nash, because Sid Vicious was uh, stripped of the title, Kevin Nash awards the title to himself. So this leads to a match later on in the night on Thunder where Sid Vicious would have a triangle steel cage match. It was Kevin Nash, Ron Harris, Sid Vicious. And Sid Vicious won. So basically you had Sid Vicious win the title on Nitro, get stripped of it on Thunder, Kevin Nash awarding it to himself on Thunder, and then Sid Vicious winning it back on Thunder. So if you do the math, all right, there were one, two, three, four, there were seven title changes in a nine-day span. I kid you not. And here's the breakdown. Now, you got to remember, Bret Hart had to vacate the heavyweight title on January 16th because he had to go into retirement because of what happened in the match with Goldberg. So January 16th, Bret Hart vacates the title. That same night, Chris Benoit wins the heavyweight title over Sid Vicious. It sold out. The following night on Nitro, the belt is stripped away from Chris Benoit because he leaves to go to, the, to, go to WWE as part of the Radicals on January 17th. The following week on Nitro, Sid Vicious wins the, the heavyweight title from Nash after beating one of the Harris boys in a qualifying match early in the night. That was January 24th. January 25th, he's stripped of the title because he faced the wrong Harris brother. Kevin Nash awards it to himself that night, and then Sid Vicious goes on and defeats Kevin Nash later on that night on Thunder. Seven title changes, nine days. I kid you not. Ah, 2003, John Morrison, Johnny Nitro, John Hennigan, however you want to call him these days, him and Matt Capitelli were the winners of season three 
of Tough Enough. It's already been that long, 2003. Now, unfortunately, we know what happened to Matt Capitelli. You know, there were reports over the years that he never made it to the main roster. That's actually not true because he actually wrestled, I think, close to a dozen matches on the main roster. You know, they they brought him back to, I think, OVW at the time, but he was diagnosed with cancer in 2006 and had to retire as a result. In fact, just to show you how people were wrong saying that Matt Capitelli never had a match on, never made it to the main roster that following night on raw after they won tough enough, or it might've even been the same night. Um, they fought in a one-on-one match on Monday night, raw 2004, Chris Benoit won the Royal rumble match. He became the first man to win it from the number one position. Since Shawn Michaels had done it in 1995. 2006, Rey Mysterio Jr. eliminated Randy Orton to win the Royal Rumble. And as a result, would get a championship match for WrestleMania 22. Rey Mysterio lasted 62 minutes and 12 seconds in that match. It is the longest for any competitor in Royal Rumble history. He broke Chris Benoit's original record, which was 61 minutes and 30 seconds. Rey Mysterio is the second... um, to win the Royal Rumble from the number two position, the only other person to win from the number two position was Vince McMahon back in 1999, which we played that a little audio clip a little while earlier. Um, and this is also the first ever Royal Rumble match to have two men last one, at least one hour. Uh, as I said, Rey Mysterio lasted 62 minutes, 12 seconds during this Royal Rumble match. Well, Triple H actually lasted 60 minutes and 15 seconds. So there you go. This may surprise some as far as how long ago this was, but this week in 2007 on Monday Night Raw, Vince McMahon revealed that at age 61, he was going to be on the cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine. Do a Google image search and you'll be reminded of this cover. It was very memorable at the time. But also that same night on Raw, while he was celebrating being on the cover, this happened. How am I doing on Fan Appreciation Night? See, what you people understand is it's the personal touch that counts. But nonetheless, you have to give of your heart when you truly give, okay? You can't just hold back. You can't like, don't start that what business with me. Don't start hey. it, all right? You have to give, ladies and gentlemen, like you've never given before. Look! Vince, you claim that you tell your audience what they want, what they like, and all of that nonsense. The fact is, they have no alternative but to like it. They have really no alternative but to like you, and they don't like you. Don't tell me they don't like The audience really just doesn't appreciate what you're giving one fan. Out of thousands in attendance, a cheesy photograph of yourself. Who the hell would want it? I wouldn't want it. Nobody that I know would want it. Maybe your wife. Maybe your family. I even doubt that. So, if you don't know your audience, perhaps I do. And I say they want value. Who knows more about value than me, Vince? They want value. I say... They want value for the money they paid for tickets tonight. You know what I'm, I mean, I'm right? I'm giving them value. And the best way that I know 
to show my appreciation to the audience, even if it's your audience, is to give them what everybody wants, me in particular. Money, Vince. Money, money, money. What? That's why right now I'm dropping buckets of cash. What? Look up at the ceiling, Vince. That's Look not up real right money, now. folks. Look at that. It's not real money. Don't get excited, okay? This is monopoly money. Now that's the way you show appreciation. Learn from it, Vince. Donald Trump is simply dropping pieces of paper, folks. It's real money. Wait a minute. This is like monopoly stuff. This is not real, okay? Thank you. Don't get excited. That's a $100 bill. It's real money. Grab some. Grab some. Here comes one right towards me. Hundreds and fifties and Donald Trump, tens and twenties and you son of a bitch! It's real money. Donald Trump, you embarrass me like this. Grab it! I must be the only one. There's got to be thousands of dollars. Look at this! I got some. I got I got some cash. Do you know what pissed me off about that segment more than anything? Not that it fell flat that night amongst the wrestling fans. And you would have thought everybody at Raw, the money coming down from the rafters, which was real, and it was a lot of it. They weren't really energetic about it. But what really angers me about this segment is what is going on in this current climate. Yes, I totally understand President Trump is polarizing. There's a lot of you out there that despise the man. But here in the United States, he still is our president, and he's really trying to help all Americans. And whether you like it or you don't like him, you have to respect the office of the presidency. And what I'm finding outrageous is there are about eight or nine different websites that I utilize for research. Wrestling results, moments in history, those who are born this week, those who died this week, other pertinent pieces of information. This show, by far, has turned into the hardest show that I have to put together for everybody. And when I was pulling a lot of the history for this week, I noticed a couple of websites that deleted the moment in history for this week when this segment happened. And you know for a fact that it's simply because they don't like Donald Trump. And it's fucking pathetic. Now, I'm not going to mention the websites that I'm talking about, but if any of you out there are bored and you want to go see for yourself, go do a Google history search and go check out some articles from six, seven years ago, and you'll see this posted. And then you will see those same websites now. And everything else from Monday Night Raw is still listed with the exception of this segment. They do mention the muscle and fitness. Nothing whatsoever about Trump. And I think that's fucking pathetic. History is history, whether you like it or you don't. 2008's Royal Rumble pay-per-view was the first pay-per-view that WWE aired in high definition. The one thing that I will always remember from this Royal Rumble, and, and for those that are newer wrestling fans, believe me when I tell you, it's just unreal at that time. You go watch the footage, you'll, you could hear most of it, but I still remember where I was. It's and Again, what I said earlier, you know, over the years, there's moments in wrestling history where you remember where you were. And in 2008, I remember I was at my house. 
it was Jay Lover, Reefer, a couple other wrestlers, a couple of girls. They were over at my house. And we watched the Royal Rumble pay-per-view together. And I'm telling you, you know, when John Cena came out and he obviously it was a surprise because he had the pectoral tear that he was out of action for what almost a year when he came out as the 30th man in that Royal rumble, the crowd went nuts. And I swear to you, every single one of us were like, Oh shit. And we, we were into it. Nobody was disappointed in it. We popped and everybody else popped for it as well. John Cena at that time, obviously is handled much differently than he is now. But man, when he came out at number 30 that night, it, the crowd exploded and everybody was buzzing. And I know I did an episode of the Don, Tony and Kevin Castle show the night after. And I remember uh, putting it over. I thought it was great. I really thought it was great. Now, something that was not great at all was the confrontation that Mickey Rourke and Chris Jericho had on Larry King Live back in 2009. Now, first off, it just blows me away that it's been that many years since this happened. But at that time, Mickey Rourke was in the movie, The Wrestler, had a phenomenal performance, no doubt about it. And all of the buzz was that Chris Jericho was going to fight Mickey Rourke at WrestleMania. And it was going to be a one-on-one -on -one match, and a lot there was a lot of press and a lot of buzz surrounding this. So this night in wrestling history in 2009, Mickey Rourke was on Larry King Live. And for about five or six minutes, they brought Chris Jericho on. And the confrontation was so piss poor pathetic. And look, I'm not saying this because I'm just a wrestling fan, but Mickey Rourke just absolutely bombed in this confrontation. I mean, he sounds like he pussied out. And the way it went down, it was so highly bashed amongst the press wrestling fans. You just across the board that they almost scratched the angle, the storyline completely, completely. And Mickey Rourke would obviously still appear at WrestleMania 25 and had that very short confrontation in the ring with Chris Jericho, but it was supposed to be a whole lot more than that. And it all fell flat because of this moment in 2009. Enjoy. Mickey Rock remains with us. He earned an Oscar nomination as Best Actor uh, in The Wrestler, and he's already won the Golden Globe for that role. Joining us now in Chicago is Chris Jericho, pro wrestler, actor, and TV personality. Chris has held six different championship titles in WWE World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, Chris, have you seen The Wrestler? Yes, I have seen The Wrestler, and I thought that Mickey did a tremendous job I thought he hit the ball right out of the park. He, he did a great job, made no mistakes in his performance as Randy the Ram. Because to please you, that had a, he had to go some because you, you're in the game every day. Well, and that's the thing. I think that the movie represented the minor leagues of wrestling very well. And uh, like I said, I think it was a, a, a nice representation of what it's like to be on the way up and also what it's like to be on the way down of wrestling. It's not representing what I do in the WWE and, and who I am, for example, as the best in the world of what, what I do. I think, like I said, Mickey's performance was immaculate. He made no mistakes, but I think he did make a mistake on the red carpet at the SAG Awards when he mentioned WrestleMania and called me out because if he got his wish and had a confrontation with me at WrestleMania, I think the ending of the Jericho Rourke movie 
would not turn out very well for Mr. Rourke uh, as it did in The Wrestler. Uh Uh-huh, a challenge. Yeah. Well, Mickey... Not really a challenge. I think Mickey kind of talked a little bit out of line. That's not a challenge. I'm just answering. There's a lot of a difference between playing a wrestler in a movie and actually being one in real life. And Uh I think Mickey was given some bad advice in saying my name on the red carpet. And if you get your wish, Mr. Rourke, you will not be... uh, You will will learn things that you never learned in playing a wrestler in a movie. Mr. Rourke, you you may counter. I think that's... I'm hearing what the man's saying. Listen, I was visiting his world... He does his thing. Uh, he does his thing very well. And uh, perhaps I did put my foot in my mouth. And uh, <laughs> Would you wrestle I got him? No, I got nothing but uh, Would respect you wrestle for him. him. Would I wrestle him? Yeah. If it was up to me... Uh, you would. I, no, I would. It, it's not my world. You know, I was a professional fighter. Would I, would I box him in a boxing ring or a bare-knuckle bare match? Yeah. Wrestling, that's his world. That's what this man does. Well, do you think you a boxing you, match, huh? Hmm. Bare knuckle match. Interesting, Mr. Rourke. That's very okay. interesting. There he goes. I think you should have thought before you spoke. Be careful what you wish for, Mr. Rourke. It may come true. <laughs> well, listen. All the best to you at WrestleMania on the fifth in Houston, brother. Hey, I do respect what you did in the movie, The Wrestler, Mickey. Like I said, I think the performance was immaculate. But like I said, I think you went. Uh, you offended me. And that's the last thing you want to do is offend Chris Jericho, believe me. Because you may have respect for me and respect for my world. I don't have respect for you. I don't. I really don't. Well, I'm going to take the high road, brother, and just wish you all the best and uh, do your thing. See, Chris, he's taking the high road. Well, you know me, Larry. I'm a very nice guy. We've we've worked together quite a few times in the past. Yeah, we have. It takes a lot to throw me off kilter, Larry, but... uh, Next time, well, think twice, Mickey. But like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm right here, brother. You want bare knuckle, you want boxing, whatever it is, I'm fine. I'm an entertainer just like you are, but my world is a lot different than yours. And you right think that character. you know that, but I don't think you know for sure. I don't well, think you, you know, really know for sure. I don't know a whole lot about wrestling, but, you know. <laughs> you're, Chris, you're looking sharp tonight. You did it nobly. Thanks, Chris. Go back to see Metallica. Chris, thank you, Larry. From Metallica. Chris I'll be waiting, Jericho. Mr. Rourke. Take He's care, waiting. I'll Take be care. waiting, Mr. Rourke. <laughs> Take care. Have a good night, son. Mickey Rourke, by the way, turned down a lot of unbelievable roles. Wait till you hear what some of them were when we come back. I tell you, even though it was not locked in stone that Chris Jericho was going to take on Mickey Rourke one-on-one, man, did this whole storyline go from one extreme to another. I mean, I remember watching that that night and almost laughing at the end of it. I was like, what the fuck did I just see? I mean, Mickey Rourke just, he put on such an awesome performance in The Wrestler. And yeah, I'm sure people will say, ah, oh, well, he did a lot of takes here and there and this and that. It was just amazing how fucking pathetic this confrontation was on Larry King. It, it just surprised me. And in a way, I'm kind of glad how it went down because remember, you know, Chris Jericho's match, the legends and... You know, Mickey Rock being reduced to just that one little moment in the ring, I think it ended up for the best. I really do. So, 2009, the same year, Dr. Phil Aston pleaded guilty for distributing prescription drugs and a conspiracy of distributing prescription drugs. Remember, he was the personal doctor of Chris Benoit, who killed his wife, killed his son, before killing himself in 2007. Part of the official Associated Press article from that time, 
Dr. Phil Aston, 54 years old, pleaded guilty to a 175-count federal indictment, charging him with illegally distributing prescription drugs and conspiring to distribute prescription drugs. Aston also admitted that prescriptions he used resulted in the overdose death of a female patient in 2007, though attorneys did not specifically name any patient or link the physician to World Wrestling Entertainment's Chris Benoit. More than 50 of the counts carry a maximum of 20 years of prison and a million-dollar fine. The others carry a lesser sentence, blah, 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 blah. Uh, federal investigation found Phil Aston wrote prescriptions without conducting physical exams and sometimes gave patients as many as four simultaneous prescriptions for cocktails of drugs like Percocet, Oxycontin, Vicodin, and Adderall. Investigators cited one case in which an unidentified female patient began receiving a combination of drugs that included Xanax in 2002. She died in June 2007, the same month authorities discovered the bodies of Chris Benoit, his wife, and his son. Now, look, I didn't bother to check the research since then, but if you really think about that article for a minute, an unidentified female who died the same year, who was prescribed Xanax, you know, and other drugs, it could have very well have been Nancy. And from since then, I'm sure, you know, may have been discovered that it was, but fucked up. So you got to remember, it was the same week that all the buzz was WrestleMania, Mickey Raw, Chris Jericho, and then this. Sad, absolutely sad. Speaking of Jericho, a moment I'm sure he wishes to forget, but since we're talking about wrestling history, it would be unfair for me not to mention it. It was this week in 2010. I'm sure a lot of you remember it. The mugshots are still on the episode of the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle show we did that night. Chris Jericho and Gregory Helms were arrested for public intoxication. And look, I'm not going to rehash the whole story. You could listen to our retro episode where we get into it and everything. But all I remember is that Gregory Helms was in a cab with Chris Jericho and some unidentified female, and they got into some type of an altercation, and they ran away, and apparently they were, you know, they were drunk. But again, you know, you got to give them credit. They, they weren't driving. They were in a cab. I mean, obviously it doesn't justify, you know, disorderly conduct. But still, it was this week in 2010 that that whole incident went down. It was an odd situation at that time. Same year, TNA announced that they were going to be moving to Monday nights starting March 1st. I think we know how that ended up. And unfortunately, that week in 2010, and, you know, we can look back on it now more positive because he is doing well now and he has survived cancer. But I think a lot of people may have forgotten that it was this week in 2010, Jake the Snake Roberts announced that he would be forced to retire from in-ring wrestling because of cancer. Uh, he, you know, he survived it. And, you know, we know his demons that he's battled over the years with drugs and alcohol. But God bless him that he is still with us and he is doing well. Um, but, you know, back in 2010, it felt much different for Jake Roberts. So good for him. Glad he's doing well. For you Daniel Bryan fans out there, this week in 2011, Monday Night Raw, they did a little skit where Daniel Bryan was fooling around with Gail Kim. And then the Bellas came in and they were pissed off and they started beating up Daniel Bryan and Gail Kim. I don't know if you remember that skit. I think a lot of people may have forgotten about it. I mention it only because we know that Daniel Bryan now is married to Brie Bella and they've had a child since then and, you know, good for them. But if you want to chuckle at a little segment from 2011, go check it out. 
This week in 2012, Sheamus eliminated Chris Jericho to win the Royal Rumble match. The reason why I mention it is because, number one, Kane did not wrestle in this match. It was the first time in 14 years that Kane was not in a Royal Rumble match. And Karma was in the Royal Rumble match. And people may not realize this. That was her only official WWE match in her career. She was there for a cup of coffee. We all know that. But some people may not realize that her appearance in the Royal Rumble was technically her only official WWE match ever. 2013, John Cena eliminated Ryback to win the Royal Rumble match and as a result, getting a championship opportunity at WrestleMania 29. The reason why I bring up this event as well, two weeks ago, I played you that 25-minute clip between CM Punk and The Rock, which closed out Monday Night Raw. Well, two weeks later, 2013 Royal Rumble, The Rock defeated CM Punk to win the WWE title. This would end CM Punk's run at 434 days, the longest run since Hulk Hogan's four-year reign that ended in 1988. And if you forgot that match, CM Punk originally won. He had interference from the Shield. They helped him win. But then uh, Vince McMahon restarted the match, and as a result, The Rock would win the title. One year later, this week in wrestling history, CM Punk walks out of WWE prior to Monday Night Raw and has never been in the WWE ever since. So it was this week in 14, CM Punk quits WWE. 2015, you know... Roman Reigns winning the Royal Rumble. This was the night where The Rock came out, was holding Roman Reigns' hand in the air. The Philadelphia crowd was destroying Roman Reigns, shitting him out of the building. The boos were absolutely tremendous. I think a lot of people forget that in addition with the way they treated Daniel Bryan in this Royal Rumble, that it was hashtag canceled WWE Network. It was trending on Twitter. Now, in defense of WWE at that time, I thought it was ridiculous to hear anybody threatening to cancel their membership because of the outcome of the Royal Rumble. I'm not a Roman Reigns fan. I did not like him winning that Royal Rumble. You listen to our DTKC episode from the night after that took place. We, I was not happy with the decision. I thought it sucked. But still, for people that go to that extreme, oh, you know, if this person wins, we riot. This person wins, I'm canceling my prescription. Good. You want to cancel your subscription? Get the fuck out. Then you're not a true wrestling fan. You know, you got to take the good with the bad. But man, did they boo Roman Reigns out of the building. And Roman Reigns, you know, he actually wrote a statement the following day. And in case you forgot it, Roman Reigns wrote, and I quote, you know what? I went out there, I did my thing, one hell of a crowd, if you know what I mean. Whether it's love or hate, if I could be out there, that's all that matters for me. If I could go out there and they're going to make some noise, they're going to do whatever they want, and that's cool. They paid their money, they could do whatever they want, they could cheer, they could boo, as long as I could be a part of it and it's my thing, I'm smitten, man. That's what he wrote. And you know what's sad about everything that went down that night with Roman Reigns and the Daniel Bryan stuff? You know, there was a main event match where Brock Lesnar defeated John Cena and Seth Rollins in a triple threat to retain the WWE title. That was an awesome match. It really was. And it always shadowed because of 
what happened with Roman Reigns that night. Really, really sad. You know, and just to show you how bad things were for WWE at that time, the following night on Raw, technically it was canceled because of inclement weather. There was a travel ban imposed in the state of Connecticut because they had a whole bunch of snow. And they did a snowed-in episode of Monday Night Raw where they showed some replays of the Royal Rumble match from the previous night, the WWE Championship Triple Threat match, which was really good, uh, some sit-down interviews, and some other shit. So this 2015 was not a good week for WWE. Uh, 2016 was no better for Roman Reigns. And, you know, this was piss poor because, remember, this was the first time since, uh, what, 1992 when the WWE title was actually on the line for the Royal Rumble match. You know, Roman Reigns was the champion that night. And I only have to say four words for you to remember the 2016 Royal Rumble. One versus 29. Remember that? Roman Reigns went in there as the heavyweight champ. And yes, Triple H ended up winning the title that night. He eliminated Seth Rollins to win the title. But the one thing that I always remember, and this just goes to show you, you know, the way that they handled Roman Reigns, a lot of the blame goes in WWE itself. Roman Reigns' official in-ring time for that match was 59 minutes and 50 seconds. But remember how we used to always go with the Roman is sleeping shit? And I remember that night, just people just laughing and taking note of it. Of that one hour that he was in the ring, he wasn't even in the match for half of that time because they did that storyline where the League of Nations had beat him up and he was, it, it was pathetic. Two years in a row, we went through that shit with Roman Reigns. And, you know, he he suffered quite a bit since. And yes, a lot of it is his own doing. I'm not saying that it's not. But the way that they handled him in this match, he was the fucking heavyweight champion. And more than half of the time that he was in this match officially, he was just laid out. It was pathetic. 2016's Royal Rumble pay-per-view couple of moments that we'll always remember. First off, it was AJ Styles' WWE debut. It was really, really cool to see the fans react as much as they did. Of course, AJ Styles was a known wrestler amongst the masses, but he was very well received, and it was it was really cool. Um, also, that same night, Charlotte defeated Becky Lynch to retain the Divas Championship. Why am I mentioning this? Well, people may have forgotten, but... There was a moment during that match where Ric Flair was outside the ring as, you know, the manager, I guess you could call it, for Charlotte. Charlotte and Becky Lynch were brawling outside the ring. Uh, Ric Flair got Becky Lynch's attention. Becky Lynch went up to Ric Flair. Ric Flair proceeded to kiss Becky Lynch. Then he did the woo, and then Becky Lynch slapped him. Well, because of the snowflakes and the social justice warriors out there that felt that the kiss was sexist and inappropriate, WWE edited the kiss out of the match. You believe that shit? This is entertainment. It's entertainment. Ric Flair was playing the perverted old man. She slapped him. But because people felt it was sexist and inappropriate... WWE edited that kiss out. And just so you know, because I checked it, on the WWE Network, the kiss is still edited out. I figured I'd share with everyone. And if you're a little bit outrageous with them editing out the kiss, just keep in mind that the following night on Raw, 
this happened. Oh, it's been a long time, right? It's been a minute. The last time you and I together, we were in Brooklyn on Monday Night Raw. It was me, you, Rusev. Remember that? That was an amazing night. And then remember, you came to my hotel room and surprised me that night. Yeah, that was crazy. Remember that? And you told me you didn't want to be with Rusev anymore. You said he was big, he was hairy, he smelled like rotten testicles. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just talk. Remember that? And then we, you bought out the wine and we got drunk and we did those special exercises. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, look at you playing coy. Like, no, we didn't. Yes, we did. Yeah, remember you told me how, you, you showed me how to do the, the one-legged Russian vacuum. Yes! Remember I showed you how to do the Wisconsin wheelbarrow? Mm-hmm. I know you remember. I know you remember the DJ mustache, right? Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Girl, don't, don't do that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Hey, we were just talking about you, kind of. Hey, were you, are you guys still together? I heard you broke up. We're actually engaged to be married. You're engaged to be married? Mazel, that's fantastic news. That's awesome. Oh, congratulations. Oh, you're going to make an amazing wife. And you, you got a hell of a woman here. She's flexible as all hell. Whoa, I mean, it's amazing. You're going to have a great marriage. And hey, 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 hey. You all right. The following night on Monday Night Raw, AJ Styles had his first uh, WWE singles match, and he defeated Chris Jericho, which was really, really cool as well. Um, this week in 2016, it was also announced that WWE had signed Shinsuke Nakamura, and soon he would be debuting for NXT. This week in 2016 at a Lucha Underground taping in Los Angeles, Fenix defeated Mil Muertes in a Grave Consequences match. Even though this match didn't air on TV until March 18th, I'm mentioning it now because it did take place this week in 2016. If you're a fan of Lucha Underground or a new fan and never caught this match before, go out of your way and see it. This match is one of the best matches that Lucha Underground has ever put on. Fenix over Mil Muertes in a Grave Consequences match. And finally, 2017 at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, John Cena defeated AJ Styles to win the WWE Championship. Neville defeated Rich Swan to win the Cruiserweight Championship. Gallows and Anderson defeated Cesaro and Sheamus to win the Raw Tag Championship. And in case you forgot who won the 2017 Royal Rumble, it was Randy Orton. And with that said, we are done with the history segments. Now, let's get into wrestler birthdays and unfortunate passings this week. Some notable notable birthdays uh, this week for those who are no longer with us. Hans Mortier, Gordon Soley, Gary Hart, Red Bastine, the Giant Baba, Road Warrior Hawk, Mike Awesome, and Sean O'Hare. God rest all their souls. Dominic Danucci turns 86. Cuban Assassin turns 73. Jerry Briscoe turns 68. The Honky Tonk Man turns 65. Lilani Kai, 61. Akira Maeda, 59. Vince Russo and Reggie Bennett turn 57. Rod Price turns 56. Hardcore Holly, I'm surprised that he's this old. I mean, I knew he was older in age, but I'm very surprised. Hardcore Holly turns 55 this week. Pentagon Black turns 49. Ace Steel and the Maestro turn 45. Happy birthday, Shark Boy. He turns 43. 
Nigel McGinnis and Stephanie Bellers, a.k.a. Gorgeous George, turns 42. Seamus and B.J. Whitmer turn 40. Michelle McCool and Volador Jr. turn 38. Beatar Morgan Jr. turns 37. Annie Scholschel and Zebar turn 36. Jay Briscoe turns 34. Rob Fury and La Zombra turn 33. Taylor Wilde turns 32. Sonata, age 30. Alex Silver, age 28. And Sasha Banks, happy birthday. She turns 26. And finally, some deaths that took place this week in wrestling history. Gloria Baratini died at age 84. Hard-boiled Haggerty died at 78. Dr. Jerry Graham passed away at 75. Orville Brown died at 72. The Mongolian Stomper, age 71. Dirty Dick Barkley and Jack Tunney died at age 68. Someone who I was very close with that I miss her immensely, Georgia Macropolis. She died this week in history at 67. Jumping Joel Savoldi, age 65. Larry Winters at age 58. Frank Scarpa died at age 53. Black Cat and June Izumita at 51. Nightmare John Allen died at 48. The late, great eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant, died this week along with Minnie Chessman at age 46. Beetlejuice, Alan Carnell died at age 42. Embry Hale at 36. Sean Osborne, 35. Bobby Duncan Jr. died at age 34. J.J. Carson died at age 31. And finally, Daryl Blade Davis Jr. died at age 23. And there you go. That is this week in wrestling history. I hope you enjoyed it. Please always send your feedback. It is appreciated immensely. You can follow me on Twitter at DonTonyD, Facebook.com slash DTKC show. If you want to check out my website, it is DonTony.com. If you want to check out archives of these episodes, Don Tony and Kevin Castle Show, Breakfast with Blasi, go to www.DonTonyKevinCastle.com. And finally, if you like what we do, you want to help support the shows, keep the lights on, keep us uh, in business and free for everybody, consider signing up on our Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash Don Tony. As a thank you for supporting the shows and being a member of Patreon, we have exclusive podcasts there. Breakfast Soup, which is hosted every other week by yours truly and Anthony Missionary Thomas. There's over 40 episodes of that. Kevin Castle does a solo show there. Castle Chronicles, which airs every other week. He's got over 40 episodes there. Uh, Dark Chronicles, which is a lighthearted uh, conversation type show with uh, Kev and his friend Trez. They talk movies, pop culture, a little bit of wrestling thrown in, music. You can check that out as well. We have uh, monthly giveaways, pay-per-view prediction contests. You can interact with us like uh, nowhere else. It's a lot of fun. Believe me, it's a very tight-knit family over there. So give it a shot. You help us, and in return, you got some exclusive content on there as well. And with that said, I am Addy, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this once again. I will return one week from today with your next edition of This Week in Wrestling History. Everyone be well. I'll talk to you all soon. Ciao. It's cozy season again, and MeUndies is here to help you go home for the holidays with their most comfortable and festive holiday collection yet. Gift some me time with super soft gifts that will guarantee a thank you card so thoughtful it'll bring a tear to your eye. With their new holiday prints and styles, celebrating with everyone you love just got a whole lot more fun. From undies and cozy socks to PJ sets and plush robes, MeUndies has something for everyone on your list. 
Share the good cheer with your partner or family with matching sets. No matter what you choose, surround yourself and your loved ones with comfort this holiday season. And if you need more inspiration, check out their holiday gift guide for ideas that are more snug than a hug. Get 15% off your first order, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee at MeUndies.com slash CozyTime. That's MeUndies.com slash CozyTime. Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments, where bold moves require confident blueprints, where you can accelerate transformation through consistency, where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at SAIC.com slash cloud.